If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Today on CityCast Boise, happy Friday and happy St. Patrick's Day, Boise. Frankie and I are joined by Heath Drusen today, and we are getting into reporter intimidation tactics, a house bill that seems so anti-bike and pedestrian, I have to assume a car rode it, and why the mayor says she won't let Boise turn into another Portland. It's Friday, March 17th. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise's talking about. Hi, Frankie. Hi, how's it going? Good. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. (laughs) Um, Heath, I want to start with you. Are you special? Like, why on earth is Representative Heather Scott's husband threatening to see you? Why, Why are you getting letters from him? Yeah, I mean, I felt special, right? I got this snail mail letter um, that I thought was all for me. And it was from the husband of, as you mentioned, Idaho Representative Heather Scott. She's a kind of far-right backbencher from North Idaho who's um, certainly made her name with some some kind of outrageous stuff uh, in the past, uh, including allegedly uh, tampering with a sprinkler system in the Capitol because she thought there was a listening device among many highlights. Um, so that's Heather Scott. Uh, the reason I got a letter from her husband is, I think, because he did not return my phone call. Uh, it was due to a tweet that I sent in, uh, that I tweeted, I should say, in January. So I was one of two people to get the letter, uh, at least that I know of. Uh, it was me and Daniel Walters at the Inlander. Uh, and Daniel had also tweeted about Heather Scott. So um, the short story is Heather had attacked um, one of our colleagues, Betsy Russell, who a lot of people might know, um, recently retired. Um, she had this vicious personal attack that I won't, um, you know, go into too much detail of because I don't want to promote it. Um, but I was just reminding people who Heather Scott was, and I posted a photo of her proudly waving a Confederate flag. So this was a really old photo. Yeah, I, I know this photo. It's been around forever, right? Like literally almost eight years. It was yeah. 2015. Yep. Yep. A lot of people know it. It's been pinging around the internet forever, partly because Heather Scott proudly put it up on her Facebook page afterwards. She, you know, wasn't too shy about posing with this symbol of slavery and racism. Um, and her husband even um, titled his photo of it because it was his photo, which is why he sent the uh, the cease and desist uh, in in support of the First Amendment. So real soaring language there for a symbol of slavery, but that's neither here nor there. Um, anyway, yeah, we, we had tweeted this, um, as had many other people over the last eight years. Um, for some reason, at this time, he decided that he wanted to uh, claim that I was violating his copyright. So I got a letter to basically said, 
do not use this uh, and take down any past use of it in your social media, um, or you will face uh, fines of up to $150,000 per activity. Rights. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Are you worried? I mean, are you worried about this? I mean, no. Um, I I am not worried because uh, it's I think it's completely baseless. However, uh, I am a journalist. I don't have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars burning a hole in my pocket, so I'm not stupid. And I, while I wasn't too worried, I did consult a lawyer, and. She kind of confirmed my suspicion. Um, she said that uh, there's really no merit to this. It's an intimidation tactic. And because this photo has been used so many times and mine was a screenshot of the photo. I mean, it's like, you know, a photo within a photo. Um, and that he hadn't really seemed to try to you know defend this copyright for the last eight years, that it seemed like there was nothing to it. I, I, I didn't have much risk. So I'm not too worried. I have insurance, uh, you know, if Andrew Scott's listening, I mean, if you want to go to court, I'm insured. I don't particularly want to do it, but I'm covered and it's just going to cost you money. Um, but, you know, I, the, the more important thing to me is this seemed like an intimidation tactic against the press. And um, I did not want to cave to that. So um, I didn't take down the photo. And I continue to not take down the photo. Heath, can I ask, is this the first time anything like this has happened to you? I mean, you've been reporting on uh, all kinds of issues for a long career. Is this the first time somebody's come at you with something like this? Uh, actually, no. Um, it's not even the first Idaho far-right figure to come at me. Um, some people might know of this sort of professional anti-Semite slash gag like governor candidate, Dave Riley, up north. Um, I hate to even promote him at all, given the like vicious um, racism and anti-Semitism that he's publicly espoused. Um, but he'd sent me a, a similar, he, it was a direct message, um, but he sent me a, a lawsuit threat when I pointed out his anti-Semitism. Uh, after he sent me the threat, I sent him his own tweets, which he thought he had scrubbed, but the Wayback Machine <laughs> oh my God. knows all. And so I just sent him like Siri. Like, I'm like, what about this? What about this? You disused him into ob oblivion, basically. And, right. And then he sort of like moved the goalposts and changed his tune. But so, no, it's not the first one. Um, I fear it's probably not the last one. Um you know, I, I, I've got a piece in the Capital Sun kind of talking about these intimidation tactics, and um, it seems to be on the rise, um, the, this sort of idea that you can bully the press into not reporting on powerful people. And unfortunately, these powerful people aren't always wrong. Um, you know, uh, sometimes people cave, and I don't want to be judgmental because sometimes people cave because they're worried about their livelihood. Um, you know, a lot of times you've got people with uh, with a lot more resources sending these letters to people with a lot fewer resources. So there's a real power imbalance there. And unfortunately, um, you know, the people who need to be held accountable are sometimes the ones kind of holding all the cards. You're talking about how this is kind of part of a broader pattern of intimidation of the press. And I'm just wondering why you think it's so important for journalists to fight back when they can, when they have the resources to do that. Well, melodrama alert for your listeners. I think <laughs> democracy depends on it. Um, I, I, I know we get made fun of sometimes as journalists for being, you know, overwrought about that. But I truly believe it. That's why I do this. I, I, I think um, we have a very vital role in 
holding people accountable and the hollowing out of local news, especially in a lot of places, um, has has really hurt that in America. And so if journalists start caving to every frivolous cease and desist letter um, and don't cover the people who are making policy, then we're in real trouble because, spoiler alert, uh, if powerful people don't get held accountable, they're going to do whatever the hell they want. And, um, you know, that is a... That is a time-tested bipartisan tradition. Um, if there are no checks, then powerful people will do bad things. So, um, yeah, I, I really believe it's 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 more than just a threat to journalists. Um, if you want your government to screw you over less than they would like to, um, then um, then I think you really do need journalists because. You can't be at every city council meeting. You can't be at every day of the legislative session. You have a life. You have a job. Um, fortunately, you have journalists whose job it is to be at these sometimes crushingly boring meetings that are really important. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. Um, there's some dark stuff out there, you know. There was a Las Vegas reporter who was murdered because he was reporting on a local government person who um, is now in jail awaiting trial, um, and the reporting was unflattering. That's an extreme example, but um, there's some there's some ugly stuff out there. So you get these two letter, you know, you got this letter, and uh, it's not from a lawyer; it's just from Heather Scott's husband, which is weird enough. But like, really, what's the weirdest part of this whole situation for you? Um. <laughs> well, so. You know, I think like a lot of journalists, I have sort of this like uh, healthy or unhealthy dose of self-loathing. So I do things like reach out to people who are threatening to destroy me in a really respectful, <laughs> professional manner. And I'm like, oh, hi there. It's Heath, uh, the journalist who uh, you just threatened to ruin. Uh, you know, do you have some time to give me your side of the story? Because I want to make sure to get that. And <laughs> Would you like to give comment on myself, please? Thank you. That's exactly. a very particular sickness, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know. I, I need help. But that's exactly what I did. Um, I did not get a response, but I did reach out to uh, Andrew and Heather Scott in a professional manner and um, tried to get their side of the story. And to be totally honest, I kind of wanted to. I, I I wanted to have that weird meta conversation. That's part of my sickness. I kind of enjoy <laughs> these things. But unfortunately, it was unrequited. Oh, yep. Yeah. Yep. So um, that was weird. Uh, it's always weird. Um, it's even weirder when people actually do get back to you, which they sometimes do. But um, so far, I don't know. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll the next part of the conversation is I get a follow up letter saying, no, really, I'm going to see you. I, I, I just don't know. Um, you know, I'd, I'd rather just move on. But uh, I think the best thing I can do right now is write about it and talk about it, because um, I do want them to know that I'm not intimidated. Um, I want them to know that this will not change anything about what I do. And that they can expect more reporting, just like before this letter. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. 
Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Let's uh, move on to House Bill 237, which seeks to restrict all state funding for highway districts to projects that benefit primarily motor vehicles. Frankie, what is going on with this bill? Yeah, okay, so uh, a little bit of context to keep in mind with this one is Ada County is the only uh, place in the country, I think, where cities of the size of Boise don't own their own streets. So Boise, if you're new to if you're new to Boise, you might not know this. It's really weird. It's a super quirky part of our uh, government, our local government here, is that the city of Boise does not control its own streets. The Ada County Highway District does, um, and so this bill, it seems like because it's focusing on highway districts, and it. It never mentions Ada County and never mentions Ada County Highway District. However, it's kind of like you're talking about the Ada County Highway District. It's like that this is the this is the county that has the most population and the and ACHD is important and powerful and has funding. So it's not the first time that the legislature has tried to tell ACHD what to do or what not to do. Um, and again, it's kind of this classic thing where we see this tension between state and local governments in Idaho. No matter how much the supermajority of Republicans, I should mention, in the legislature like to talk about local control, uh, then they come in sometimes with bills like this that are actually kind of restricting local control. Um, so yeah, this bill, as it as it states, would mean state funds and local taxes would have to go to things that benefit primarily motor vehicles. So taxes can only go to the two things that benefit primarily motor vehicles, which I'm repeating again because like, <laughs> I know <laughs> that seems so bizarre to me. And what does this mean in reality? That sounds like it means not sidewalks, not bike lanes, like right. not things for pedestrians. Is right, that right? Exactly. I mean, that's how other people are interpreting it. That's how I'm interpreting it, at least, or at least I'm curious to get more clarification. Um, again, like I said, Ada County isn't named, but it feel like it really is directed toward it. It's a bill. It's coming from Representative um, Megan Blanksma. She's a Republican from Hammett, which is in Elmore County. So not in Ada County, but she has brought this bill forward. And yeah, it could mean, could it mean that no new bike lanes are able to be built or that at least there's restrictions on them or on upkeep? Uh, it's not It's not clear, but that's the line of questioning that um, Democrats certainly were having around this bill when it came up in committee. And then there's also some other groups that have come uh, forward that are against it. The Idaho Walk Bike Alliance, Boise Bicycle Project, um, the city of Boise is concerned. Um, and yeah, it could really create this back and forth between these two entities and between uh, the state saying, hey, ACHD, not so much with the bike lanes, not so much with the walkability, more and more with the streets for cars and trucks. Seems super bizarre, too, that Representative uh, Blinksma would introduce this being from Hammett, which I think has 75 people. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. it just seems like an interesting thing uh, for her to be to, to be super into, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. And there's um, there was some really good back and forth that uh, in, a, in a Boise Dev article that quotes her and, and the um, Democrats on the committee who were questioning it, Boise Democrats who were questioning this. And I think, you know, just in general, the city of Boise, as we know, they're interested in seeing uh, people being able to have opportunities outside of their car to get around town. We know we've talked about on the podcast all the time about how, you know, if you live in downtown or the North End or Garden City, you have access to the Greenbelt which is owned by the city, um, or at least the portion of it that they manage, uh, versus the streets. And they've had, we've seen ACHD not always be super friendly to bike lanes and to sidewalks and to people who just want to get out of their car or don't have access to a car. Um, but recently, ACHD has become much more bike friendly. We have new commissioners who are interested in this. And so that dynamic is very present as well. Um, not sure how far this bill, it, it still has steps to go to get passed, but it's definitely something to watch in the classic like Boise versus big state government and uh, county government too with ACHD. Yeah, I think it's funny that sort of asterisk local control except for Boise uh, happens when there's an election that has a bunch of pro-pedestrian people get elected. Hmm. Mm. Yep, great point. You know, I when I first saw this bill, what kind of popped into mind? I could be totally wrong about this, but it made me feel like, could this be kind of punitive? Like, we've seen some other bills come out of the legislature uh, this year. There was the no sanctuary city bill, you know, uh, because Boise said that they weren't going to pursue any, like, anti-abortion, you know, prosecution stuff. Um, is, is there, am, am I being paranoid? Is it possible that this is punitive in some way? They, <sighs> they just yeah. like to... F with Boise is my point. Well, right. I mean, the state, there's no, obviously there's no, uh, you can't say that the state and Boise see eye to eye. Like we know this, that um, our, you know, mostly liberal city in a very red state, uh, there's a lot of conflict and uh, the state isn't always happy with decisions that Boise makes on a local level. And this, this comes out often. It's come out in previous sessions, too. I mean, there, there are plenty of examples of laws that have been passed that could be interpreted, and probably fairly so. I would say the redistricting um, law that was passed uh, a couple years ago that now means that Boise City Council is not an at-large council. It has to be, it's voted by district, um, which was a major change and targeted cities of a certain population, wink, wink, in a state where there's only a few cities with population that large, AKA Boise, uh, it affects Boise, right? And so I think that's a fair thing to say, absolutely. And we've seen this trend. Heath, can you think of others? There's so many, right? Oh man, um, I'm on the spot now, so I'm, 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 I'm not gonna probably be able to come up with other good ones, but I think you can fairly say that, yes, the conservative legislature absolutely targets Boise over and over again. It's it's a little bit uh, in 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 some ways they almost treat it like um, the federal government treats DC, mm. um, you know. Although unlike DC, where there's uh, where they can kind of just invalidate any any laws uh, with Boise, they have to you know pass a specific bill every time. But yeah, they're not shy about it, and um, I think it'd be a little crazy to pretend that it didn't have to do with Boise having different politics than. A lot of the rest of the state. I mean, why is someone from Hammett trying to change what ACH is? That seems very, very odd. And someone in leadership too, I might add. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, I mean, I I I think that there's always been a bit of a, a resentment to Boise politics and a uh, a need to sort of try to pare back any liberal policies that the city might have. 
Well, uh, speaking of uh, local control, I want to talk about this story about the Ada County commissioners voting unanimously to end funding for the city of Boise's program to pay for hotel rooms when interfaith sanctuary is full. Um, Frankie, this is a really upsetting story. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, I'll quickly, quickly back up um, because it is important to remember the context for this story as well, which is, you know, the height of COVID, Interfaith Sanctuary, which is a no a low barrier shelter, has medically fragile guests coming to them, and it was a very scary time. It still is a scary time. We still do have COVID floating around our, our uh, community, but in, especially in the pre-vaccine era, you know, people experiencing homelessness that's a very vulnerable population to uh, maybe see a virus spreading quickly through a community in a shelter um, where everybody's sleeping in a big room, right? Um, So what they decided to do was for both medically fragile people and then people who did get COVID in the population, they used federal funding, Interfaith Sanctuary used federal funding uh, to purchase rooms at a hotel so that those folks could both stay safe and get healthier uh, in the hotel. And it was all by by those accounts, very successful. It was a very successful program. It kept people healthy. It kept people safe. Um, and it kept them off the streets too during that time. So that's the background. Now zoom forward to December 2022, when the county has to decide whether or not to approve additional federal funding. Uh, so again, this isn't county funding. This is federal funding, but the county has to approve it. Um, about $700,000. They do decide to extend that relief for $700,000, but it was going to be short-lived. It was going to have to be uh, decided upon again in the spring, and here we are. It's the spring, and that money is about to run out. The county commissioners decided this time, nope, we're not doing it. Uh, Figure it out, Interface Sanctuary. Figure it out, City of Boise. And just to be clear, this is federal money. We're, you know, yeah, this isn't out of the city of Boise's pocket in any way. It's not out of the Ada County pocket. It's federal money. There's a combination of funding that goes into it, but at least as far as um, the funding that was up for a vote this past week that the commissioners said no to, that was federal dollars. So the commissioners, there's three of them, the county commissioners, they're all Republicans. It's uh, Ryan Davidson, Rod Beck, and Tom Daly. And I think pointing out that discrepancy between, you know, uh, Laura McLean, our mayoral elections are uh, are nonpartisan, but she's a Democrat. Um, and so seeing this tension now between the county commissioners and uh, Mayor McLean really come to the fore uh, will be interesting to watch. And then, of course, trying to figure out what is going to happen to, I think it's about 80 beds that are being occupied right now um, at the Red Lion for medically fragile uh, folks and families. Yeah, Mayor McLean said that she was shocked and deeply dismayed about the decision and said that it left Boise solely responsible for addressing countywide issues. And to be frank, she sounded pretty pissed. Yes, she does. (laughs) And I would also say, again, election year. So I don't know. I think this language is interesting and worth repeating. This is from her press release. I won't allow our city to become another Portland, Seattle, or San Francisco. These cities gave up on their residents, and we've seen the results. Tent cities, too many people without homes or services they need to be self-sufficient. I ask for the county's approval of bridge funding to keep our vulnerable families housed while I work with my team on permanent solutions. They refused. So 
Interesting. She's pointing out these other uh, very liberal cities that have been, um, you know, much in the news and uh, uh, Republicans love to uh, talk about. But, you know, she's seeing this um, as an opportunity to step forward and say, I will not allow uh, this to happen in our city. And uh, I don't know. I think that language is interesting to parse and to follow this story will be uh, something we shouldn't we shouldn't lose sight of. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. The Portland thing really stuck out to me. Uh, as, as I don't know, just something not very politically neutral. <laughs> I would have to go back, and I haven't done this, I would have to go back and look at previous comments and see how often she's referring to those other cities. I feel like this is pretty new, but I might be wrong. Um, but it's interesting to note that in a story about uh, folks experiencing homelessness, evoking that, but also saying we want to protect these folks too. Yeah. Well, um, let's finish up with something fun. Uh, Frankie, we got a lot of responses to our recent episode on Amtrak possibly connecting with SLC. Uh, We're pretty excited about that. What do you think, Heath? Are you going to hop on a train to Salt Lake? I am a big fan of the (laughs) choo-choos. I love train travel. Um, I've kind of made a point of uh, doing a lot of train travel all over the place. Um, So, yes. I, I would be super excited. Um, I kind of look wistfully at the depot every time I pass it and I'm like, oh man, there's another, you know, another, uh, another cargo train, but no passenger service. So yeah, I, I think it'd be awesome. Um, I like maybe weirdly, uh, kind of a fan of Salt Lake city too. Um, I think there's more there than maybe a lot of people give it credit for Salt Lake City, sorry, Boise, but Salt Lake City kind of kicks your ass when it comes to public transit. Mm, so, so true. you could actually take a train to Salt Lake City, um, have no car, and with just some modest taxiing here and there, um, connect your connect a pretty good long weekend with public transit. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it'd be great. I mean, you can take a city bus to go skiing. Did you know that? Um, no. Uh-uh, that's yes, cool. You can go to Salt Lake City by train. You can take a city bus to go skiing, and in the summer, um, hiking too. They've got some like hiking shuttles. Um, Salt Lake City has better food than you might think too. Um, the red iguana has some of the best mole that I have had in the U.S. So, I'm, I'm just saying, there's a lot of things. They got an MLS team with a raucous crowd. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. have fun in Salt Lake City, and 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 I have. So, if the train service comes back, I'll be on it. Nice. Yep. Well, a lot of people agree with you. We put this out on Instagram and oh my God, everybody wants to, everybody wants this train. It feels like at least people who are following us on Instagram, we got so many comments. Uh, One person said, uh, as a Salt Laker with friends along this route, I would happily ride it. So Salt Lake people want to come here. We want to go there. There was also some people, some said, um, I would. I would go to shows in SLC and Portland. I would also utilize bike transport. Driving is no fun and not that safe. I would definitely travel more if there was this train. Um, And then, yeah, people really wanting to see both Salt Lake and the Portland connection, too, which, is, as we talked oh, yeah. about in our episode, is like the next step. But right now, it's it's the uh, the flirting and the dating between Boise and Salt Lake to see if we can make uh, some kind of connection happen for uh, the funding to come together and everybody to get excited about this. Fingers crossed. Well, uh, hopefully it happens. I, I was glad to hear that Salt Lake is as excited to come see us as we are to go see them. So that's yes. exciting. Well, thank you both for helping me uh, break down the week's news. And Heath, I hope your pseudo lawsuit situation evens out. <laughs> it settles out very easily. Uh, and 
I don't know. Good luck to you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, normally I welcome mail, but uh, not so much in this case. <laughs> That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. The show is produced by Frankie Barnhill, Evelyn Avitia, and me, Emma Arnold. Blake Hunter writes our Hey Boise newsletter, and our music is by All the Kimonos and local band Up is the Down is the. If you enjoyed our show today, leave us a review. It helps other people find us. We'll be back Monday with more stories from around the city. Bye. My dog is drinking water really loud. She just came in here. I don't know why there's water even in here. <laughs> Beverly, my gosh, go downstairs. I don't even know how you got in here. Oh, shoot. Go, go down. Thank you so much.